0: Genuinely, have lost track of how many sermons we've been in Mark chapter fourteen. But today, unless the Lord speaks audibly to me over the next three or four weeks, will probably be the last one in this chapter. We still have two chapters to go in Mark, but uh, Mark fourteen. There's a lot here, and. Uh, we looked at the kind of the first half of this story about a month and a half ago, and uh, that would be where Jesus was uh, predicting Peter's denial. And today we actually see that happen. One of the great things, I would say one of the cool things, that's what I usually end up saying in conversation with somebody, but uh, one of the great things about the Scriptures and what God does for us is He reveals to us Fulfillment, and and really, that's if there's a theme of John or Mark chapter fourteen, I think that would be what we could look at it because there have been two or three uh, major spots here that I have I thought you know that that talks about something that either Jesus predicted or that the Old Testament predicted, and here we see uh, almost an immediate fulfillment, although. For us, it's been a month and a half since we last looked at it. It's just been a few hours since Peter makes this bold statement that I'm never going to deny you. I'm going to stick with you to the very end. And now we see what Jesus tells him in response to that comes to fruition. And uh, we will look at the last seven verses of this chapter this morning as well as maybe examine some of the passages we've looked at previously because a lot of these things really come to pass in here. So Mark chapter 14, verse 66 through 72, and I invite you to stand as we generally do in honor of God's word. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He broke down and wept. Lord, may we recognize our place before you, and that is, as we've already mentioned earlier in this service, a place of humility. Thank you for your grace. And in a moment like this, you lift up the broken. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometime in the first couple of years that I was here, it might have even been in the first year or so, as I think of what the room looked like. I get a lot of those kinds of things. We've made some changes to this room since I've been Been here. And uh, I was uh, thinking about something, and and we had a guest in the services, and um, he comes up to me afterwards, and he goes, where are you from? Because you don't sound like you're from around here. And some of you might have gotten that this morning in me greeting you. Uh, you know, I, I'm not from Colorado originally, and my, my tongue betrays me sometimes in that I've spent uh, all of my formative years in New Mexico and Texas, right? And sometimes it ended up slipping out, um, to much to my chagrin. I, I try to hide it, but I, but I can't. Well, Peter has that kind of moment right here and uh, peter uh, was from galilee he was a fisherman and uh, most of the disciples qualify in that as well and these were the guys that were following jesus around and they did not sound like they were from jerusalem and you know i we've had lots of different asc- accents speak from the pulpit i i, I think of uh, our friend dennis bells who's the head of disaster relief in colorado he grew up in maine he does not sound like he's from here Uh, Many of you grew up in the south or in the southwest, as I did, and you don't sound like you're from here. But there's a distinct Pueblo sound, and most of you who are from Pueblo would say, we sound normal. I just want to tell you guys, it's not spelled pueblo. Just going to leave that there. Everybody from wherever you are, has a, a certain sound to your voice. And some of you were from Pueblo, and you say, I don't say it like that anyway. Good for you. Here, here's the deal. And, and, and I hear somebody come from the south, and I hear them say, Pueblo. <laughs> I'm like, oh, even I'm from here. You don't say it right. Anyway, um, certain ways we say things give up who we are and where we're from. And here we see Peter Cannot deny who he is, because where he's from is formative in the man that he has become, and the purpose for which even Jesus has called him here. Is Peter a Jew? Absolutely. Is is he a? But is he from Jerusalem? No, he is not. And he's followed Jesus down south, and uh, here they are at this moment of absolute and utter chaos remember his his uh his his imprisonment his arrest it was the only person who was calm in the middle of all of it was jesus you have judas who's doing whatever judas was doing right you had the the sanhedrin who just wanted him dead you had the disciples going what's going on right all these different characters along the way and and ultimately you see this this guy this kid that followed him along runs away naked a lot of chaos and this calmness that is Jesus. And now we see two things happen at once. Remember last week we talked about the first thing in that that happened simultaneously was the trial, the kangaroo courts where Jesus was tried. And we see that in verse, uh, verse 54 it says Peter had followed him at a distance right at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. So Peter is there while the trial, quote unquote is happening. And remember, the trial isn't at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong court and without a defense attorney and whatever. They were just, they wanted this guy dead. Peter and John, it says later in the Gospel of John, we'll read that, follow him in. And Peter is just kind of hanging out to see what happens. Remember, Jesus told the disciples that they would all be scattered at his arrest. And part of the scattering is this guy, Peter. Now, we want to, I think, sometimes uh, put Peter in a bad light in this denial. But think about everything we just talked about happening. This has all just been a matter of a few hours. Everything was normal on Sunday, and now it's Friday morning, and it's gone chaos. It's gone insane. They can't understand what is happening. However, this guy, Jesus, knows what's going on. He came with purpose and with intentionality. When we get to this place, we see Peter has followed Jesus. We see that the beloved disciple or John, as it's described in the Gospel of John, does as well. But where are the rest of them? Who's actually there with him? It's Peter. Now is he in the middle of the fray? No. Would you be in the middle of the fray? More than likely not. He sees his master, his Lord, the one whom he has laid down his life for here on earth, dragged away and beaten. He can't abandon him. So he follows him to this court, and here's where we are. He's in the courtyard of the high priest, the palace of the high priest. And the servant girls see him come. And Peter just can't keep his mouth quiet. Right? Anybody else been there? Okay, i got to figure out this problem. I'm going to say something. I shouldn't have said anything. Peter is faithful, though, in this. Peter follows Jesus to that point. And he says, I'm going to stick with you to the point of death. But then he faces the panic when he's recognized. And he says, Peter's warming himself at the fire. She looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it. Have you ever been there? Not necessarily in this exact setting, but you see something going crazy. Maybe you were a kid once. Oh, wait. We were all kids once. And somebody was doing something that you might have thought was funny. Or you guys all together thought it was funny. Or you said, let's try this. And then that one guy tries it. And mama shows up. What happened? I wasn't there. That guy did it. This is that kind of scenario, right? Peter is in the middle of this. He doesn't know what's going on. His best buddy's been arrested, gets dragged off. He hasn't abandoned him. He's hanging off at a distance. But then he gets recognized, and he panics. And so before we condemn Peter, remember when you have been in his shoes. Because I think we've all been there at some point. When somebody's in trouble, we go, oh, I didn't have anything to do with that. I don't know what you're talking about. You saw me here? That must have been another guy in a blue shirt with black stripes. I don't know. This is the kind of thing we see. He denies it. I neither know nor understand what you mean. He plays the idiot. Right? I don't know what you're talking about. I get that a lot. We bring something, you know, as a parent, you get it a lot. Anybody who's raised kids, you know, well, I don't, I don't know if good. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that, that big boom you heard? Uh, I, don't even, I don't even know what you're talking. What language are you speaking? You got an accent there. I don't understand. Right? Oh, you know exactly what was going on. But Peter panics, and he says, it wasn't me. Now, was he sinning in this? Yeah, he was. Is it a sin that leads unto death? As a matter of fact, it was. You know why? Because one sin leads to our death. But Peter, I'm sorry, Jesus was not panicked by this. Because he knew it was going to happen. Chaos all around the world. Jesus knows what's going on. He went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. It doesn't say he even noticed the rooster crowing here. But obviously he remembered it. John Mark, the author of this gospel, it's believed that he writes this gospel from Peter's perspective. So there's some honesty here. As Peter, you know, he, he was always a fiery character. No matter what, he was the guy who was making these bold declarations, Matthew chapter 16, right, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in the next, he says, Jesus, stop talking like that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right? He's the guy that's always up in Jesus' face. And Jesus calls him on to get again, only it hadn't happened yet. Peter remembers, though, that the rooster crows. And the servant girl saw him, and it began to say to the by- bystanders, this is one of them. Now, I, I drew the picture of Playground Duty last week, right? This is just like that. I know that. He was there. He saw him. He sounds funny. He did not sound right. I wish I could figure it out, but I didn't speak, speak Aramaic or Greek, and so I don't know what that accent sounds like. But you could guess if you look from the, the furthest south to the furthest north in our own country, people don't sound the same. Sometimes you have to slow it down to figure out what they're saying. It's one of them. He, oh, no, it's not me. He denies it. And he kind of fades into the, the dark. But then he gets cold, comes back out into the fire. Remember, he's in the courtyard of the, ki- the, ki- the, the priest's palace here. He's in a place he probably shouldn't be. kind of snuck in. He says to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. When we declare our allegiance to Jesus Christ, People are going to look at us differently. They're going to see us differently. And they're going to pay attention to the things that we say and we do. Why? Because we have marked ourselves with Christ's blood, the blood of forgiveness. And we are to live our lives out in a way that will bring honor and glory and peace and grace to our Lord so when we declare allegiance to Jesus Christ it shows it changes who we are we should be transformed by the renewal of the spirit we should look and act differently we shouldn't dress like the world does around us I'm not saying that you know I'm not wearing a suit I'm not saying that but you also only see the things that i want you to see Because God calls us to live in a different way. He calls us to bring honor and glory in our speech and in our behavior. And when we learn the teachings of the Lord, when we study the Scriptures, when we live out the truth that is the the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to change us going to change what we look like, and and hopefully in a positive way. But oftentimes, we come across, we just do, as we we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, but like the Pharisees, maybe like legalists. But what Jesus shows here, and we're going to consider this here in a moment, is not judgment on Peter for his failures. He shows grace, and he will do the same for you and for me in our bold declarations that he knows we will likely fall short of. Because if we have trusted Christ as our Savior, chances are we, we've we made that kind of declaration where I'm going to be faithful to you in the end of all things, and then later somebody you know, pulls in front of you Or somebody does something you don't like. Or that politician that really drives you crazy pops up on the screen. And all of a sudden, we look a whole lot more like the world than we do like Christ. What do we need at that moment? We need grace. We need Jesus. He began to provoke a curse on himself in, thir- in verse 71 and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. doesn't mean that Peter went into a, a blue language rage right there in front of them. It means, no way, this is not me. And then he realized Jesus predicted this a couple hours ago, and it just happened. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke. It says that Jesus turned and looked at him. Was there judgment in his eyes? You know, I think Jesus at this moment, we talked about it last week, he's at this point of receiving his fate, receiving what's going to happen. And he looks at at Peter, I believe with eyes of mercy. remember what Judas did. Judas completely betrayed him. And we don't see good things happen to Judas later. It doesn't take very long either. What we see in Peter, and this is what I love about Peter, is that he is an everyman. He's an everyman. What do we mean by that? He does the same kind of things that you and I are going to realizes at that moment had his love for his lord diminished no i don't believe so and really as you continue on if you look at further into the new testament we see the completed work of christ in his resurrection what does that do to peter 6 weeks later he's not hiding at the in the in in the in the presence of a, of a little girl. He's standing before the masses and proclaiming, you crucified him. Peter's passion for Christ never wanes. It just panics. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, every time we want to proclaim Christ in our lives, we have to make that decision. Are we going to deny him? Or are we going to proclaim him? And Peter, in different situations, in different places, ends up doing both. But everything changed because of the grace of Jesus. We see that fulfillment even further at the end of the Gospel of John when Jesus brings restoration to Peter in chapter 21. And asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter, it clicks. He's grieved at that moment. But Jesus does not lift his blessing from this humble man's ministry. He sends him. And I don't know whether you paid much attention to this fellow Peter in the history of the church, but he is kind of a big deal is because he was willing to walk in humble obedience and humility before the Lord and to admit his failings and live in response to that, boldly, to the gospel. You know, Peter's personality didn't really change much throughout his life. During the ministry of Jesus, he was always the first one to blurt out something, right? Right? And what happens even beyond the Acts of the Apostles into the the letters with Paul, we even see Peter and Paul butting heads, right? Wouldn't that have been a great argument to see? Big old burly fisherman, nerdy little Pharisee. Both of them proclaiming boldly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were either one of them perfect, no. They're forgiven. And they received that. Before the rooster crows twice, he said to Peter, You will deny me three times. It happens. And Peter recognizes his failure. He breaks down and weeps. It wasn't just a tear, he realized what he had done. And he realized, in the midst of all this struggle, a new who Jesus was, the Christ of God. Jesus knows our every weakness, our every failing, but he still has open arms to receive. It's a humbling place to find yourself. But it's also kind of the every man, every woman scenario we see at the foot of the cross. Jesus didn't say nice things to the Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers. I don't know about you, but that's not what I say to my friends when I'm happy with them. I might say it. Usually I'm kidding. Oh, he, he drove sinners out of the temple because it was to be a place of worship. And He calls us to, to drive sin out of our lives because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. To receive that holiness and live in a way that blesses Him. To prove to the world the redemption of our souls. To work out our faith with fear and trembling. To run the race as to be one. going back to the Olympics. We watched those swimmers last night. Dude, I, I am not a swimmer. I think those people are half fish. Yes, there is talent. But beyond talent, there's that skill that is developed through discipline. How do we end up looking more like Jesus? We have the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have redemption, that receiving of salvation. But it's through the disciplines of s- studying His Word through prayer, through Scripture memorization, through sharing our faith, to tell others about what happens to Him, that we are purified, that we are grown, so that that we can see Philippians 3.14 come to pass. That we would run that race as though we were going to win. Right? Many of us, we realize... we we. we we live our faith like it's Christmas morning. I put it on my wish list, and I got the present. And now I'm just going to sit around and enjoy it. That's not the purpose of our salvation, it's to sit there and just wait for it to happen. No, we are the purpose of our salvation is that we would give others the same gift we have already received. And that's what Peter does here. He receives the mercy of the Lord. And upon his resurrection and ascension, he goes and proclaims the glory of Jesus. The fulfillment that is Peter is entirely present because of the mercy of our Lord. And he wants to give you that same gift. And he desires for us to live with that same boldness that Peter lived that those in our lives would know of the mercies of the Lord. Can you think of Peter, if you go into Acts chapter 2, you see him making this bold declaration just a few weeks after this happened. And he is bold in his, his proclamation of the risen Savior before those who killed Jesus. Imagine what's going through his mind, thinking back to this moment. I don't think it's a moment of timidity. I think it's rejoicing and gratitude. Jesus saved me. You know what? He can save you, too. No matter where you have been, what you are doing, what mistakes you have made, and what mistakes you continue to make, Jesus is the Savior we need. Because He pays the price for that sin. It's by His blood that we are forgiven. It's by His resurrection that we are redeemed. We sang this morning such great songs of His, His, uh, His penalty for our sin. But He doesn't want us to sit there and, and continually grieve. Yes, we need to grieve our sin. We need to realize that we are sinners. But He calls us to rejoice. our salvation. To live our lives is a blessing. Where do you fall today? Have you trusted Jesus for that gift? He calls us to take steps. He calls us to trust Him. He calls us to follow Him. and Follow Him in baptism and then follow Him in this world and proclaim His good news to those who who would listen and even to those who wouldn't listen. And to love the way He loves. That means we proclaim sin as sin. but We don't leave it there. Jesus, just as one man sinned, one perfect man makes that salvation secure for eternity. Jesus, the man, Jesus, God, lives, lived a life as a sacrifice for me. And for me. We see that fulfillment come in the passage. I'm so thankful that somebody told me about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us.